I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to, to get involved, ask a question, you know, which I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. like this little side industry of like trying to copy the sites we were selling we had gone through this before where we went out of business had to go find a job so one of the things we did was we were super transparent about everything when you're crushing it when you're growing that's the time to double down my name is justin cook and i'm a partner at a company called empire flippers where we help others buy and sell websites and online businesses how did you get into that Kind of a long story. I was working in the US as a mid-level manager and my business partner and I both at the same company. And we'd had some experience from a previous company where we'd outsourced the Philippines. And this company we're working for is growing really fast. So they had a, just a ton of need for growth. And so we said, look, we've got this connection in the Philippines. Why don't we hire some people? So we started hiring people in the Philippines and started adding more and more people. We actually went up to visit and we realized that this girl we'd hired, she started hiring more people. We're putting them like in her closet. Her house was full of people trying to do all this work for us in the Philippines. So we went back to our boss and said, look, we should like do this legit. Like we don't want to run a sweatshop in the Philippines and like they're working out of her house and her closet. So I said, look, why don't you put together a proposal? And so we did that. We put together a proposal and effectively set up an outsourcing company in the Philippines. And my business partner, Joe and I eventually went out to the Philippines to run that company. So that's kind of how we left, I guess, the corporate world in the US. Now, shortly after doing that, within a year, our previous employer ran into their own troubles and started to cut back, which you know, them cutting back on us is pretty painful in terms of our cash flow. So we started looking for new things to do. And we ultimately ended up building websites and getting them earning 100 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, 800 bucks a month, and realized there was a market for selling these kind of like little mini businesses, advertisement-based or Amazon-type sites. And people started buying them from us. Eventually, that turned into other people going, wow, that's pretty interesting. You've got a whole bunch of buyers buying these sites. Can I sell my site with you? And so we kind of hesitated on that for a while, eventually said yes. And that part of our business really started to take off. And that's we've been doing that for, I don't know, four years now or so, four to five years, selling other people's websites and online businesses and have kind of scaled it up from there. And where are you at today as far as your location? Yeah, that's a weird thing about our business. So we're a distributed team, meaning we have people that work and live around the world. My business partner is based out of Manila, Philippines. I'm currently in Saigon, Vietnam, but I travel quite a bit. Last month, I was in Phuket, Thailand. I'll be back in Bangkok in October, and I'm heading to Colombia, heading to Medellin, Colombia in November. We kind of travel around a bit. We get together every three or four months or so, and we'll get together for about 30 days. Uh, this last time, it was, it was last month in Phuket, Thailand. The time before that, it was here in Saigon, Vietnam. But we'll kind of bring our whole management team together for 30 days to kind of work together and kind of knock some stuff out. And then we'll take like a three or four month break and then kind of bring everyone together again. We have a U.S. company. It's an LLC out of Delaware. We have a U.S. presence and headquarters, but most of our team is kind of spread around the world. 
Do you have a problem like trying to stay focused with all the traveling and working at the same time? Well, I go to a lot of the same places. So, you know, you'll regularly find me in places like Bangkok, in Saigon, in Hong Kong. When I'm going to these same places, I have like my regular Airbnbs. I know the neighborhood. I know kind of like the places I like to work from and makes it relatively easy. If I kind of go off the grid a little bit or to a place I don't know as well, it makes it a little more challenging to kind of get set up. But normally, if I'm hanging out in places I'm regularly going, like within a day, I'm good to go. Can you give us any tips or tricks that you've learned as far as, I guess, you're going to the same types of places over and over, but as far as like working abroad, what have you learned that you didn't know at first? Well, I'm married, right? And my wife works online as well. She's a podcast editor, surprisingly enough. So when we travel together, having a one bedroom, at least a one bedroom is helpful. If we're stuck in a hotel room for more than like four or five days, that gets tough. You know, obviously we love each other to death, but you start to like trip over each other and not have any space. So it's helpful for us to get at least placed with rooms and Airbnb is super helpful for that. I also stay in places with reasonably good internet connection. You know, you won't find me traipsing through the jungles typically i'll stay in places where the internet is a bit better and that makes life easier and you touched on i guess when you originally went over to the philippines to from your old company could you tell us what that old company was and i guess how you got into websites because it doesn't seem like they were connected yes we set up an outsourcing company it was actual philippines corporation it was called tribpo and it's based in the philippines in davao city philippines which is in the south and we set up an office there and everything and primarily we were working as an outsourcing company for our previous employer but we started adding new clients, right? And our previous employer was an SEO company, a local SEO company. So we were familiar with SEO. We had some experience there. And some of the other providers we worked for were SEO as well. You know, we had a bit of SEO background over the last few years based on that. When our previous employer basically started cutting back on our employees and our staff, we had to make a decision. We had all these well-trained staff that were working for us, that were working for them that no longer were getting a paycheck, right? That were no longer paid for. So we said, look, we got to do something with them. We don't want to lay everyone off. And we had to, some people go, but the rest of everyone on our team were like, they're skilled, they're trained. We want to keep them. So what can we do? So we started looking around for projects we could put them on that would at least save their job for the next three to six months until we could make sure they're placed with other clients and everything was kind of back to normal. So one of the things we looked at was kind of building these profitable websites, small earners spending a couple hundred dollars trying to get a website up and running adding the content, getting the time it was AdSense on it and getting them monetized, getting them start you know, earning a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there. And that's kind of what we started doing. We kind of put a process together to build out these sites. And then once I'd done it, I did like maybe a dozen or so myself. And then I had my business partner. I said, look, kind of here's the process. Let's teach the team how to do this. So we went through the process of basically teaching them how to build these websites that were uh, ultimately they end up working. They didn't start the, like the first month. I think we built, I forget how many, but we spent a, maybe a couple thousand dollars on it. I think they earned like $48 that month. It was like December of 2010. So they earned hardly anything. And then January, maybe a couple hundred bucks, February, a few hundred bucks more. Eventually it started to turn around. I think it got to like maybe March, somewhere between March and May of 2011, where we were probably $10,000 in the hole, meaning we'd spent $10,000 building out these sites and paying for everything and maybe only making less than a thousand dollars a month. And we had to make a decision. We said, do we go more out of pocket? Do we spend more money growing this 
or do we just wait for it to slowly kind of trickle up and you know continue earning more and more and then scale it and grow it? And so we thought about that. I wanted to put more money in. My business partner said, no, let's just wait and grow it as we have the cash flow. Because of that fight, we ended up coming to an alternative arrangement. We said, look, let's see if we can sell some of these sites. It was sites earning 100 bucks a month or $150 a month. Can we sell it to someone? Is someone interested in buying it? And if so, can we use that future earnings? Can we use those future earnings to build more sites? If I can take a $150 a month site and turn around and sell that for two to $3,000, I can buy or basically build a lot more sites out of that two to $3,000. We started doing that and we realized we were building, we didn't know at the time, but we were building these like mini assets, right? These are like little miniature businesses that earn money, that people are interested in purchasing and that have actual real market value. And we started off selling sites that were a couple thousand dollars when we were starting out and then eventually scaled it up. I think we did the first year we were selling websites, we did around $200,000 total and then scaled it up to where last year we did just a hair under $10 million in total sales. So yeah, we through that time, we grew significantly, hired a bunch of staff and really had to manage growth effectively. And you said you were training your Filipino workers on the process of doing this. Could you talk about that a little bit more in detail? Because it sounds like over and over, the more entrepreneurs we talk to, it's about like documenting the process and having a way that's easily organized and for people to follow. Yeah. So I'll tell you that the way we were building sites ultimately got hit by Google penalties and other problems. That's one of the reasons we stopped building and started allowing other people to sell their sites on our platform was because the way we were doing it wasn't as effective. This is maybe like 2012 or so. The details of what we were doing wasn't as effective, but I can tell you generally how we would train. We were there in the Philippines with our staff. So one of the things we would do is we would lucky enough to be able to train them in person. Part of that was me and Joe sitting down my business partner and documenting what I would actually do. I kind of figured out how to do it. It was in my head. We needed to figure out a way to get it on paper. So I think at the time we used like just Google Docs and documented each step of the process. We broke it down into different segments. So we said, okay, here's the keyword research segment, right? Here's the site setup segment. Here's the content writing and publishing uh, segment. Here's the SEO segment. So we had these different segments and we broke it down into steps in each of those segments. Once we had that, we had a process that was much easier to then train the team. We were able to first show them what we were doing, kind of walk them through each kind of like segment in the process, and then have them follow the process and kind of review them, critique them step by step, kind of like a a softer review, watch them do it, have them ask questions, and then have them do it fully on their own with like spot checking their work. Did you just have like a shared Google Drive folder or something that everyone could go into? And how many people were working for you at that point? Yeah, Google Apps. Yeah, just a, a shared Google Apps account with our business. I don't remember how many people. I mean, maybe we had maybe like somewhere between six or seven people on this project. But we had other because we had other outsourcing clients as well. So we had other agents that were assigned to those outsourcing clients. And then we had a team that was dedicated to one of our larger clients in a separate office. So maybe we had 20 something, 25 staff or something total at the time, but only like maybe maybe six on this particular project. And what would be like an hourly rate or so at that time when you were paying them to do this work? I think we were paying around, it's been a while, man. Maybe, maybe I think 10, 12,000 pesos a month at the time, which is about 200, 200, maybe 250, 250 bucks a month at the time. We pay considerably more now to our team, but like at that time, yeah, about maybe two, on average, 200 to 300 bucks a month. 
No, I'm only bringing up if there's an entrepreneur who's listening who's in the U.S. and they've never even thought about virtual assistant, especially in the Philippines. They have no idea like how much it might cost or not cost. So, Oh, yeah. You know, I'm saying six people and they're like, oh, my God, that's like $24,000 a month. No, 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 no. We're talking about money, much less money than that. Yeah. You said it was originally a Filipino company and the organization actually was versus like a U.S. company. Yeah, we wanted to do it legitimately, which means we need to have a Philippines corporation. We were still in the U.S. We had to go to the Philippines embassy in L.A. and get Joe and I went. We got all these documents printed and I forget what they call it, apostized or I don't know. They had to take this like red ribbon and they call it red, red ribbon, like six copies of all the documents or something while we were there. We get to the Philippines and we register everything. So we had like a legitimate Philippines corporation. And, you know, we own that corporation. Joe and I did as American. We had a U.S. corporation that effectively owned the Philippines corporation. But with that Philippines corporation, we could sign contracts. We could enter agreements. The, the corporation could actually buy land or property as well. We didn't do those things. We did the contracts. We didn't buy any land, but it like afforded us like a legitimate Philippines corporation. So it let us do some of the stuff that you wouldn't do if you were just kind of a guy on the ground trying to hustle it up. There's some weird stuff about the Philippines. I mean, it's very, um, as an American, like the culture is like deceivingly similar, but some of the bureaucracy can be crazy. Like there was, we were trying to get everyone signed up for the equivalent of like, just get their taxes in order, get their, effectively get them registered with the social security, SSS, they call it, and PhilHealth in the Philippines. And we were having so many problems getting them registered that my business partner at one point said, look, we're going to rent some vans. I'm bringing the whole team. I think you rented like two or three vans, brought everyone downstairs, piled them into vans and like went to the office and like went in front of the lady and like folded his arms and was like, look, you need to take care of my people. And I just sat there in front of her until she finally, finally agreed to like get them signed up and everything. So, you know, it had been taking weeks or months at that time and, and they weren't helpful. He did the uh, American jerk thing and it paid off. He was able to get everyone signed up and registered. Yeah, no, we had a, we had a full on legitimate company. And the idea was, is like, we want all the, our staff there to know that we're serious about it, that we're legitimate, that we can get into contractual relationships with other companies there. And we just thought, you know, there's the right way to be. Looking back, I don't think that was a very good move. I don't think we needed to do all of that. It was way more hassle than it was worth. I don't think anyone in your audience necessarily needs to do any of that. It's really easy and straightforward to hire Philippines virtual assistants from overseas. There's lots of ways to pay them now, Remitly and Zoom and all, all other kinds of ways to get them paid. You can even use things like Upwork, obviously, to hire staffs. I don't think I would go the route that we did, but you know, our idea was to actually build a Philippines outsourcing company and not just have a few staff for a project. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to set it up legitimate. Becoming a patron was something that I was always like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I was delaying it for whatever reason. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm very happy with it. Nice. Well, thank you for joining. So was there anything holding you back? It was just uh, taking the time to do it. Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking the time to do it. So um, where are you located? Here in Bolivia, in South America. Cool. Well, I think you're our first Patreon member from South America. So thanks for that again. And um, I don't know if you just saw, I just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month. So I think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally. Doing the group calls, you guys get to actually, you know, ask our past guests questions and I'm just there to facilitate it. How about tax implications of doing that versus, it sounded like you said a U.S. company actually owned that corporation, so you're still taxed in the U.S.? 
Yep, we were still paying taxes in the U.S. In the Philippines, we had a five-year tax holiday, so we were still under that. So we weren't paying, or we didn't need to pay tax in the Philippines for our first five years. And we ended up selling the Philippines Corporation later on to someone that bought a piece of our business. We'd lost our main client, our previous employer, but we had other clients. And then when Empire Flippers effectively started taking off, we had one of our clients actually ended up buying our outsourcing business outright and took a couple of the projects that we had left uh, with it. Unlike at Inbarvillers, we generally sell it's an asset sale. So we help people sell websites and, and stuff. But we don't sell the actual LLC or the corporations. Uh, in this instance, we actually sold the corporation uh, in the Philippines. Can you tell us about some of the difficulties in setting up Empire Flippers and with things that you learned along the way? Yeah. So we originally were setting up these websites and selling them ourselves. And then we allowed other people to sell their websites with us. And these were $15,000 sites, $20,000 sites to start. And we took a commission on that. So we were taking 15%. So if we sell, for example, a $10,000 website for someone, we would take $1,500 out of the deal. And so it was a lot less than actually building and selling them ourselves. But we figured we wouldn't have any volume issues. We'd have an amazing supply. That really started to take off. And we started doing quite a few other sales. And we held on to other profit channels. We were also selling like content packages because we had the staff in the Philippines. We were selling content packages. We were selling keyword research packages. We were doing some like bespoke like site setup stuff. I think at one point, Joe and I were doing some consulting. I hate consulting. But we were doing some like consulting hours and we had all these other things going on, even though we saw the brokering side of our business taking off. And so we held on to these other kind of cash flows for way too long, these other services we had. And they were making us maybe, I don't know, eight to $10,000 a month. So it was hard to let them go. But I think we held on to them maybe a good six months to a year too long. And when we did finally give those up, we said, look, we're just not offering this anymore. We just shut them down, stop the cash flows completely. It allows us to really kind of scale up the thing in our business that was working, that was successful. And it was clear to us, you know, when you have something that's resonating, that like customers are flocking to, that you're getting great reviews on, that people like genuinely love, it's obvious. There's a bit of luck that comes with business, right? I mean, you have to try multiple things, you have to fail stuff. But when you're on to something that's popular and that's working, like I came to the realization that you'll know it. Like It's not going to be a totally uphill climb. There are some things that just work about it and it's pretty obvious. I think I know I know this now that when we have something that works, it'll be obvious. And from my perspective, uh, the quicker you can stop kind of uh, throwing stuff against the wall to see what works and double down on what is working, the better. Well, how did you market this site and how did it start taking off over time? Because you're saying the first year, you sound like you did 200K and then six years later, basically today, it's like 10 million. Yeah. So we, um, when we were building these sites, we noticed there's a lot of other like courses out there and people were selling information and they were like, here's like half the process. And then if you want the real deal, you have to pay for the other half. And when we were building these sites, we kind of donked along and figured it out and, you know, we're testing through it. And when we realized it started working and started making some money, we said, look, with our outsourcing company, we were super secretive in that we were making some money. We were paying the bills with the outsourcing company, but we didn't want to tell anyone anyone else who we're doing. So we don't want them to steal our idea. We didn't want them to take clients. We were just secretive about it. But with this stuff, it was like a side project, right? It was like just to kind of like keep the initially it was to keep the agents 
employed so that we could just replace them. We figured the outsourcing company was our main gig. So one of the things we did was we were super transparent about everything. Like we put up a blog at the time it was AdSense Flippers. It's now Empire Flippers, but we put up a blog and documented the process start to finish. We said, here's exactly how we build these sites. Here's what we're trying to build. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. We shared like monthly revenue reports on exactly how much money we were making and what we were working on. And we were just gave away everything. And the idea was, is like, look, maybe that additional transparency will resonate with people. Maybe they'll dig it. And they really did. So we started to build an audience relatively quickly. We started connecting with other people in our space and talking to them. And and people really appreciated our kind of transparency on what we were doing and the fact that we weren't charging for anything. And that helped us later on down the road when we wanted to sell businesses and eventually broker websites and online businesses because we were able to build that audience quickly and people like knew what they could expect from us. They were happy to share our information with other people. There would be some part of the crowd that looked at us and they like, look, I want to recreate their process. I have more time than money, right? So I'm going to spend my time building sites the exact way they're doing it and follow their process. I'm thankful they shared it with me. And then there were other people that had more money than time. And they were like, look, I can't take the time to learn how to build all these sites, but I'm willing to buy some of these sites that are cash flowing so that I can kind of like jumpstart my learning curve and get some sites that are already making money. That really helped us. The good thing too is that if someone had more time than money and they're building those sites off your process, more than likely they're going to be coming back to you to sell it, right? To eventually cash out. That's right. So we were, we didn't know at the time because we didn't know that we would head into the broker range, but we were training our inventory suppliers, our suppliers effectively later on. Those, some of those people that kind of like came up with us and watched our process for building these sites ended up building successful sites and successful businesses in their own right. And then, yeah, later on, they ended up selling with us. They talked to their audience because they built blogs and podcasts at that point. And we're like, look, you know, why don't you sell with Empire Flippers? I know those guys. They're great. And we got clients through their clients. Was there like no transparency before that? Were there not other websites that were brokering websites like yours? And what made y'all a little different other than I guess the transparency that you're talking about? Not like us. There was Flippa, which is kind of like an eBay for websites, like buying and selling websites. And we actually used them to start because we didn't have any place to sell. We were listing our sites on Flippa. We sold a few, maybe I forget how many, a dozen or two dozen sites through Flippa. And we realized some problems with the platform. So we had we had buyers reach out to us and say, look, guys, you're selling these sites. You're, that's awesome. You're transparent. Love that you talk about your blog, exactly what you're doing. But here's the thing. You're listing the URL and like all the information about the business on Flippa. Because really, you need to do public auctions at the time. And so we publicly auction these sites off. And they said, what's happening is you're getting people on like the Warrior Forum and a bunch of other places that are like writing, writing ebooks about how to go to Flippa, look for your username and copy all the sites you're creating. So there was like this little side industry of like trying to copy the sites we were selling to these buyers and it was ultimately hurting them because if you buy the site and you end up with like two dozen copycats right away now you've got all this competition in a very small niche and you're having to compete with them for SEO. So we had buyers tell us, look, can you just sell to us directly? Like, you don't even need to, to share the niche. Just talk about how much this money it's making in the general industry, how long it's been around, and how much traffic it gets. Don't even tell me the niche and we'll buy it from you. So we said, wow, that's an interesting concept. I wonder what we can do with that. So that's when we started listing directly. Yeah, we, we in terms of transparency, we were not transparent with our outsourcing company because 
Well, I, I guess we're just fearful. Joe and I kind of came up thinking that if you're making money, right, you don't want to tell and you don't want to change anything. You don't want to tell anyone. You just kind of like do it privately and don't talk about it. And, and that's kind of what our understanding was. And I, I didn't like that, but I was, I thought that was the way it kind of had to be. And I wasn't sure that you could do it any other way. So when we had this side project we were working on and it wasn't like critical to paying the bills for us, we figured, you know, what the hell? Why not try to change it a little bit and do it differently? There were some people that were doing income reports. So like Pat Flynn over at Smart Passive Income was doing income reports and we really liked and respected those reports. And we thought that was really interesting and fascinating. Why don't we do something similar? There were like Pat Flynn was doing income reports, but no one in our space, in our industry and in, like the brokering or the kind of like website or business online business marketplaces were doing anything like that. Could you tell us through the years, do we have any um, positive or horror stories about like selling these particular sites? Anything you ran into? Horror stories. Um, yeah. So, well, one of the, and this is right when we were getting started with this, with the kind of like switching from the outsourcing company to the AdSense flippers and Power Flippers days, when our previous employer actually fired us completely, they cut back, they cut us a few times and then finally cut the cord completely. You know, we were in trouble. We had the outsourcing company was kind of paying the bills. Like we were earning a modest salary, but it got to the point where we were other than that, we were just break even. Joe and I could barely pay ourselves and we would just break even and keep the lights on in our office. And so we made the kind of the tough decision to shut down the office, right? And Joe really wanted to do that. He thought that was the better move. And I really fought him on it. And the reason was, is I felt like we didn't have a real business if we don't have a real office. You know what I mean? Like if we don't have a place where people can go to work every day, then what the hell are we doing? That was frightening for me. And looking back, it's great. I mean, we have a, we don't have an office now. We have this distributed team of people that work from all different kinds of places. But at the time, I didn't see it. And I didn't, you can't see what's going to happen in the future. And it, my thought, I thought we were screwed. That makes sense. Because I mean, you had been used to it in the routine and you're teaching people, I guess, in person how to do these things versus if you didn't have that office, you'd just be at your Filipino home. Well, yeah. Plus, you know, we moved halfway around the world. I had a storage unit back in uh, in Southern California with a small one-bedroom apartment's worth of stuff, right? So that was my backup plan is if this doesn't work, I fly back to the U.S. with my tail between my legs and try to pick up the pieces, right? Go get a job and, and go find out what, what I'm going to do. Now, we'd already been through a business failure. And one thing I didn't mention at the top of the show was Joe and I had a mortgage company previously, and this is prior to the real estate crash. We had a mortgage business that was doing well, and then it went in the toilet. I mean, we basically were forced out of business. We went out of business. We had gone through this before where we went out of business, had to go find a job, right? That actually, I think, helped because I'd been through a really tough, basically, business shutdown before, which was really tough and, and like emotionally and psychologically frustrating and, and difficult. I knew worst case scenario, it wasn't that bad. I knew that I would get through it. So I think that like really bad business failure made me, I don't know, made me know that it wasn't going to be, that I know that I get through it, that I would, would get to my next project and I'd find a way to make it work. With that mortgage company and with any ups or downs that you've had so far, could you talk more in detail about how it personally can take a toll when you have, it seems like everything has failed and you have to go get a regular job? 
my business partnership was really challenging after the shutdown of the office. And we went through some really tough times. And one of the things is Joe's business kind of philosophy is like, when you're crushing it, when you're growing, that's the time to double down, right? That's the time to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And I feel the same way, right? I'm on board with that. On the flip side, I also think that when things are down and when things are shaky and you don't know whether it's going to make it through and you don't know what's going to happen, that's a time to double down too. And he didn't agree. He was more reflective about the business and trying to take some time and think about what next steps were. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? We need to get work done and we need to just hustle. And so that was a real point of contention for us back then. And it was really difficult. I mean, shouting matches, uh, <laughs> real frustration between us. Now, the good thing uh, is, you know, we'd known each other for well, two decades now, about 20 years. We know how to deal with each other even when there's difficult things going on. So we made it through, but it wasn't easy. Could you talk about working with a partner? I guess the pros and cons, I guess you've been able to, I don't think you get that very often where you're, it's basically been the same partner in all these businesses, correct? Yeah, there's different ways to do partnerships. Like I have friends and peers and, and guys and girls I know where they have kind of like looser partnerships. Like they're a 30% investor partner, more passive partner in one business, and they're 50-50 on another, and they're a 20% investor on a third business. And they have like kind of like these loose partnerships and some of them work and some of them don't, but they're successful in their own right across the multitude of partnerships and, and deals they have going, which seems really foreign to us. Like Joe and I are more in kind of the marriage part partnership, right? Where like I own half, he owns half and we split everything, right? Any success we have, any projects he's working on, we roll it into the business. Any projects he's working on that fail, we just drop and we both pay for it. But we're just kind of, it's a business marriage effectively. So there's there's multiple ways you can do partnerships. I've seen both work. We, we've talked about partnerships quite a bit on our podcast and we're kind of down on them. We, we beat them up a bit because you know, there are lots of bad partnerships potentially. So yeah, it worked for us, but I think I think a lot of people get into partnerships not because they need a partner, but because they're trying to cure their like entrepreneurial loneliness. When you're working in a business on your own, it's you just wish you had someone to talk to about it. You wish you had someone to share the success and kind of like complain about the failures with. But I think you can solve that other ways. I mean, you can solve that through masterminds. You can solve that through entrepreneurial meetups. You can solve that through communities and online groups. So you don't necessarily need a partner for that. But you know, I, I shouldn't beat it up too badly. Our, our partnership's been great. And you know, through all the things we've been through, like we've found some real success in our business now. Hopefully that helps. I feel like I came at least a little bit more helpful at the end there. No, I, I do. I think it helps. And like I said, it's like going to see a psychiatrist talking about your problems in life. You're like, we're talking with you about our <laughs> problems in business and startups. So, I mean, when we vocalize it, we talk, something else will enter our brains and, and we're like, okay, yeah, there it is. Nice. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Rock. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing because I go back and forth. I've never had really a business partner per se. And it's like, yeah, I kind of want one sometimes to think about it just so I have someone to socially talk to about it other than because usually the wife or the girlfriend or yeah, whatever your friends, they don't understand. But if you're actually in there with somebody, maybe I'll actually end up working a little bit harder just with me. So yeah, it's kind of a tricky thing. It's tough to get uh, feedback too, because if you ask friends or wives or husbands or whatever, then they're like, you know, either they're like, oh, honey, that's great. Or yeah, I 
that's, that's so nice. And it's like they're at their kid's recital or something. And everything, everything you do is going to be amazing, right? <laughs> like, oh, honey, I love you. And then on the flip side, aside from the love, if you're looking to take like a risky move, right? And you want to take like a financially risky or you know, just a, a risky business kind of venture, often they're going to be scared for you and say, no, I don't think you, that you should do it. Because if they, if they say, yeah, dude, you should absolutely go do it. And it fails, they'll feel really bad. And they don't want you to blame them. So if it's risky, they'll be like, uh, and you know what? Don't like, they're really adverse to risk. So it's just tough to get feedback as an entrepreneur from friends and family because either they, they're trying to just love and support you or they're trying to not give you advice that makes you go out and lose the farm. Jumping back into Empire Flippers, what's the biggest mistakes or smart things that you see going on on when someone's selling a website or buying a website off your site? Yeah, we get some sellers that come to us. And first off, you know, everyone thinks that, not everyone, but it's typical for people to think their business is worth more than it actually is. Oh uh, yeah, 95%. <laughs> yeah, and this and this happens particularly if they spent money. So let's say that they come to us and they go, look, I spent $150,000 in development. Like this system, this platform is amazing and it's going to change their industry or the world or whatever. And we go, well, look, how much money does it make? And they go, well, it's pre-revenue, right? And they're trying to do this valley shark tank kind of like buy it, you know, from me. No, it doesn't work that way for the rest of us. Sure. You want to go pitch VCs and raise money? Good luck to you. You've ever read do that, good luck. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us actually building businesses that have to make money and pay the bills and everything, businesses are bought based on a multiple of net profit of how much profit they're producing. So that's challenging. Like we do be the bearer of bad news sometimes for sellers, especially kind of the tech valley types that are like, oh, I built this amazing business. So we have to be the bearer of bad news and tell them, no, it's actually based on profit. Typically, an online business or website that's earning is going to be valued at, well, the valuation formula would be a net monthly profit times a multiple, right? So the multiple generally ranges from 20 times to 30 times monthly net profit. So for example, if your business is making about $10,000 a month over the last 12 months on average, your business may be worth somewhere between $200,000 and $350,000, 35X, depending. Now, what the multiple range, that's a big range, is it we're 200 or 350, that's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that difference is... Especially if you're buying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a diff- the big difference is how much risk the buyer is going to see in that business. Is the business growing or is it declining? How old is the business? Has it been around for a while? Uh, how many traffic channels do you have? How diversified is the monetization? How reliant on other platforms is the business? So all of these things lead into a risk profile for the business that's going to determine the multiple. Basically, if you can maximize your net profit and make your business the least risky option for buyers, you're going to get the best valuation and you're going to have the most interested buyers. As far as any young entrepreneurs or any entrepreneurs in general, if you want to leave them with some last lessons or stories that they can pull from, what helped you the most? What would you suggest to them as far as if they're trying to start their own business or already have? Well, if they're looking around at different like online business models, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you, you know, after the show, a post we've done that like kind of brings a bunch of the different online business models together. It's the 11 online business models and links to each one individually and kind of goes in, in some detail what that business model is like. So people can kind of get a sense for the types of online businesses there are, how they earn money, what buyers and sellers may look at when they're building those types of businesses. In terms of advice, I'd say one of the worst things I see with kind of young entrepreneurs that are, you know, 
looking to build a business and kind of get their start is they chase after they're looking for something new, right? So they're like, you know, oh, I heard about drop shipping, but I think that's saturated. I heard about Amazon associate sites. I heard that's saturated. FBA was like two years ago. What's going on now? So it looks like Amazon merches, merch accounts are the thing. And I'm going to do some Amazon merch business. So they're kind of chasing the next newish, faddish type business model. The fact of the matter is FBA businesses are still crushing it. Amazon associate sites are fine. Drop shipping businesses are fine. Add those tons of AdSense sites, lead gen type sites. So just because it goes out of flavor in the latest kind of like online business entrepreneurial blogs or communities doesn't mean they're not making money. If you want an idea on what types of businesses make money, go over to our marketplace. Look at the businesses we're selling today and that'll show you that yes, no dropshipping sites still make money. FBA businesses still make money. There's plenty of profitable online business models that are still out there, still earning, but have not been as popular or in favor in the last year or two. Thank you again for coming on. If someone wanted to go ahead and say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, we can give us a reach out at empireflippers.com. You can check out the Empire Flippers podcast or give me a shout on Twitter at Empire Flippers. All right. Well, thank you, Justin. Thanks, man. Hey there, Millionaire Interviews listener. Even though you're probably alone right now while listening to this podcast, know that at this very second, you're actually listening with thousands of other listeners all around the globe. That's right. The internet can be a crazy place, and we've actually taken off in dozens of countries. So whether you're in the northern, eastern, southern, or western hemisphere, we appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like to connect with those listeners all around the globe, or maybe you want to ask one of our guests a question about their episode, well then check out our Facebook group. Just search for Millionaire Interviews Podcast. Hasta luego, baby.